be together again and uh, opening up God's Word. I wanted to mention a couple of things um, as we get started here in our time. Uh, wanted to remind you all of this Friday night. The church will be open. There will be communion elements here for Good Friday observance. There will be uh, an instruction sheet that you can pick up when you come in. And it'll be nice and quiet in here. You can read through scripture, uh, partake of the communion elements, and, and remember our Savior's death uh, Friday night. So that's Friday night. I believe the bulletin said 4.30 to 7.30. 4.30 to 7.30 time period there. Then, um, please be in prayer for uh, Sunday. Um, we've got the sunrise service at 6.30. Sunrise service, 6.30, out at Liberty Pond Park. Uh, we're looking forward to that occasion together. And uh, it's always a, a special time together um, as we see the sun coming up and realize that uh, Jesus is truly risen again. Um, and then Sunday in our service time, we're hoping to have uh, booklets ready to hand out to everyone uh, that comes at the worship service on Sunday. And we want to just hand those out as gifts. And you folks who normally are here, we want you to take that and you can look it over, but look to give it to someone that you know who doesn't know the Lord. Don't just file it in your your bookshelves of uh, however many Christian books you still have in your shelves. Give it to someone. Look it over. Understand it yourself and give it to someone else and, and pray that God will give you opportunity to talk to someone about faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? We, uh, we want to, uh, make much of Jesus Christ. And, uh, we want to especially do that here, uh, together as a body of believers for folks that come on Easter Sunday morning. So, we want to be ready in that way. So, uh, we look forward to that, and please, again, keep it, uh, keep this time in your prayers that God would uh, certainly be magnified and glorified in our time together. So we have, uh, here's uh, Palm Sunday, as was mentioned already. Palm Sunday. And what pictures come to mind uh, for you when we talk about Palm Sunday? The Holy Week, uh, the triumphal entry, right? And all the palm branches and all the hosannas, shouting out the hosannas and the praises of Jesus. And certainly that is a wonderful moment for Jesus. It appears like that's like one of the highlights of his earthly uh, ministry. And yet, how quickly the table turns. Because... What happens, as, as we know, in saying that the tables turn, uh, things in our perspective start going downhill really fast for Jesus. It, uh, again, we're reminded that not only was, did it start in a, a pretty 
big, magnificent way with all the praises going to Jesus, the people being so excited, yet how it turned so quickly to his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, his beating, his scourging, and his crucifixion. And so, rather than uh, uh, take First Thessalonians as our study, we're going to be looking at a passage in the Gospel of John today. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. So if you take your Bible and turn there. So at, yeah, at one point there's this great rally of revival with all the hosannas, with all the momentum of the people going towards saying that Jesus is King. And by the way, numerous times uh, the people did want, did make that attempt. Let's make Jesus king. Let's do it now. And for many of the people following, it was obviously a political issue. I mean, look at what he just did. And if we can just get him to be king right now, we'll kick these Romans out. So people got excited. But before the week is over, it all turns to rejection and shame. And the tendency that we have, I, I, I mean, I remember as a, as a little boy um, seeing those old uh, video, uh, it's not video, the film strips. <laughs> okay, go to the next one. Okay, go to the next one. And those, that kind of thing. Of pictures of the, of the Holy Week and pictures of the palm branches being waved and, and then pictures of onto his trial. And everything just gets, obviously, gets very somber. We tend to think that, you know, well, wow, it's really turned bad for Jesus. But I want to have us understand something and see something today from John chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. Get this. John, the gospel writer, the apostle... John doesn't write till later on, after Matthew, Mark, and Luke are already done. John writes later, and John puts forth the arrest of Jesus and highlights two things. Man's depravity and the Savior's sovereignty. Okay? Man's depravity and the Savior's sovereignty. Man's depravity is on display in numerous ways in John chapter 18. Okay? And that keeps coming up. And it's almost unbelievable how man's inability to see anything of God, to, to understand anything spiritual, is right there for us to see. But all too often when we you know, read the passage and we think, oh my goodness, Jesus is getting it. He's getting it. He, he's Now it's the time. It's, it's really bad. Yet I want us to see that in His display of sovereignty, He is in control in this very thing of His arrest, His, his betrayal, His arrest, and His trial. He's in control. It's not like this, this surprised Him. He kept saying, My hour has not yet come in the book of John. What does that mean? 
His resurrection? No. His suffering. And he says it in John chapter 13, verse 1. My hour is now... Here, here it is. My hour has come. He knew of the betrayer, Judas. We're, we recognize that. We understand that. And so, we want to take a look at this passage. John chapter 18. And I've entitled the message, When the Sun Shines the Brightest. When the Sun Shines the Brightest. So, uh, let me read this passage here to start with. John chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, in which he entered with his disciples. John does not take on to explain what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. He just figures, okay, I'm going to get to this point in my gospel, in my writing. And so the Holy Spirit working in John's life to so empower him to, to write out what he wanted to, says, you know what, we're not going to look into the Gethsemane agony like the other gospel writers did. And so we carry on with the reading. Now, in verse 2, Now, Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there, with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Now, we're going to keep on through this passage, but for right now, that's what we're tackling here. And we start out with um, recognizing that the sun shines the brightest, number one, as he stands out or he stood out with divine purpose. Jesus stood out with divine purpose. And I had verses 1 through 3 there in your outline. It's actually, we want to look at 1 through 4 and understand this. In, uh, with verses 1 through 4. So the time had come. Christ was in no way being carried off against His will. This is what He came to do. This is just another display of His sovereign control. Because of the circumstances, all the terrible things He would end up encountering, we get a strong sense that He's just helpless. Meek and weak Jesus but he shows forth divine purpose, letter A, in the presence of his disciples. Why is that important? His disciples saw that he wasn't cowering back in the shadows when the cohort or the mob shows up. He showed his disciples that he was right there and ready to go. And the disciples, notice they're mentioned two times in verse 1. That Jesus had spoken these words. He went forth with His disciples. Then He entered with His disciples. So He's with them. And He's going to show them an amazing display of divine purpose. And it was a location that Judas was familiar with. But 
just as importantly, he shows himself in the, uh, with this divine purpose before his disciples. He's also showing it in the presence of his enemies. Judas came, it says, with a detachment or a cohort of Roman soldiers. Okay? Now, I, I, we don't count how many people we have in here, but we haven't even come close to half of the amount of people that showed up from what the passage is implying. I don't think we have 300 people here. A Roman cohort was about 600 people, soldiers. Now, the passage might imply that, just kind of like what we say when, oh, the police showed up. When there's an incident at so-and-so's place. Well, the police might have been two guys in a squad car. But why then does John use the word for cohort, which is implying here's a percentage of a huge army, and that percentage is about 600 guys. So, it's pretty intimidating. And, and along with that, there were others because it says, and officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And the, the, the reason why the Roman soldiers were there gave the religious experts backing and support the presence of genuine authority in showing up to arrest this guy and his disciples. And so this time of the year, the Roman soldiers came into Jerusalem because there's so many Jews that showed up in Jerusalem for the Passover and for the festivities that were going on. So the Roman soldiers had a strong presence there in Jerusalem. The religious officials came to them, requested their assistance in going and arresting this, uh, this group of rebellious disciples. Interesting. And so the mob came. They were prepared. Notice what it says there in verse 3. They came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And they were equipped to squelch any rebellion. And in this also, in this passage, there's no mention of the, the kiss of betrayal by Judas. It just mentions it two times as repetition. Here's the one who was betraying Jesus. So, verse 4 shows us. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, So, Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon Him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? He did not sit back. He did not walk off. He did not go silent. None of that. Rather, he stepped up. He stood out with purpose. I, I want us to get a handle on this more. It's not just, oh, he gave up his life as a martyr. And it's not just, oh, he's going to get mocked. It's not just he's going to get spat upon. He knows he's got to drink the Father's cup. What is that referring to? The Father's wrath against sin. Your sin and my sin. And Jesus is going to drink that cup. So it's very amazing, very incredible. 
He stepped up. He stood out. His hour, his time had come. And by the way, he is in control. He didn't just watch things happen. Oh, I guess I better tell him it's me. No. He went to them and said, who do you seek? Who do you seek? He wanted to have that be stated. We seek Jesus of Nazareth. And that set up something. That set up something. So, he came forth with divine purpose. Number two. He spoke forth in divine power. Not as a quivering, shaking, fearful uh, leader now who finally got caught. No, he speaks forth in divine power. And again, we look at verse 6 on through verse 6. Uh, I'm 4, I'm sorry. Verse 4 through verse 6. They, he, Jesus says, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. And there, here's the reference again. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them, the mob. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. This is divine power coming forth. And first of all, letter A under number two, it's consistent in his identity. Whether in his ministry, in his life on earth, whether it was good times or bad times, here is his identity. And it's out of his omniscience, where he knows all things, nothing took him by surprise. And he had loved his disciples to the end. John 13. And out of his confidence, he stepped forward, he came forth, and in essence, stepped into the spotlight. Listen, you and I, that go to, we try and study the Bible and, and understand what the Word of God says, we know, we know the demons knew who he was. The demons knew who he was. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. The sick who were healed, the lame who were healed, the blind, the deaf, and the dumb, they all knew this is Jesus, the Son of God. But these guys didn't get it. Jesus was fully aware over all of his earthly life that he was one with the Father. He was the Son of God, the only begotten. Okay. And by the way, let's look up these um, couple of these verses in John, in the Gospel of John. John chapter 5, verse 16. Turn there, please. John chapter 5, verse 16. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he had healed a man on the Sabbath. In verse 17, he answered them and said, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling his own father, God, his own father, making himself equal with God. That's why we get... And why you ought to get 
all riled up, so to speak, about the deity of Christ and when it's not held up as such. We had to hold forth this doctrine. Jesus is God. Not a, a matter of becoming God. He was God from eternity past. And that's the miracle of the virgin birth. The incarnation in all that He did. So, there's another reference in John chapter 10. Turn there. John chapter 10, starting at verse 31. John chapter 10. Well, look at verse 30. It says, I and the Father are one. That's what Jesus says. Then the Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They got it. They understood. He's not just saying this. He's not just doing this work. He's saying he's God. So, This was the evidence that the religious officials of the day were going to use in the trial against him, saying he was blaspheming. But Jesus didn't shake from that. What about you? What about me? Have, we, have you ever been in a situation where you kind of pull back? You know, it's like, you're not wanting to step out and step forward and say, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I trust in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. You know, there's been times like that in all of our lives, I think. And here's Jesus. And we're not sure exactly if it was 600 or, or what. That's what we're led to believe. There's all these people, a mob. They got weapons, they got the torches, they got the lanterns. And Jesus steps forward. Who do, you, who do you seek? He's taking charge of the conversation. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I am He. What happens? John chapter 18. They drew back and they fell to the ground. So here is letter B. He's, it's consistent in His impact. <laughs> We love this. His impact, whether it's in the glorious moments of His ministry or in the dark, difficult times like right now, His power is very evident. And I love this because John is saying, and Judas was right there with them. The one betraying Him. It's like, Judas, get the message. Get this point. Jesus said, I, what? I am. There it is from John chapter 10, uh, John chapter 8. And there it is from the Old Testament when Moses says, Who shall I say sent me, Lord? Just say, I am sent you. The very same phrase that God Almighty used. Here is this. Hear this, Judas. Hear this again, Judas. Jesus of Nazareth is the great I Am. 
And not just to Judas, but all of you officials, all of you religious officials. And by the way, all you Roman soldiers, listen to this and let it sink in while your bodies all fall back down in the ground. This is just not any, uh, you know, peasant teacher. You know, I found it interesting in preparing for this message. Get this. There are actually commentators who say that as the mob all drew back, they just accidentally did the domino effect on everyone. They draw back, and in their clunky armor or whatever, one guy tripped, and boom, 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 boom. How about that? It was just an accident. I, was, I shook my head when I read that from a, a commentator. Like, What? You know what that says? It's not making much of Jesus, is it? Here's our problem, everybody. We have a problem in that we don't make much of Jesus. And we tend to be like that commentator and just say, wow, yeah, oh boy, there's a lot of people and there's a crowd and, you know, I've seen it happen on YouTube and all that jazz. And they just kind of fall over each other. We're not making much of Jesus if that's the case. Same thing in creation, okay? Study Genesis. It's like, we don't make much of God. We don't make up much of Jesus if it has to be something other than He spoke and it came into being. It's like, well, no, there's got to be an explanation. And so we add an explanation of all sorts and colors. <laughs> Look, I believe, I, I, I know I don't have a whole lot of answers, but I do believe if God is God, He could speak and the universe comes into existence. Is He God or not? And see, the problem is we have minimized God. We've brought God down to our level rather than exalt Him. And the same thing goes here when Jesus says, I am. Poof! Ha ha! What, He didn't do that, I did. <laughs> See, how do you explain this? That when He said, I am, now these are soldiers. These aren't, you know, like Cub Scouts. They're soldiers. How do you explain that? It, I believe it's simply more of this context that Jesus, as God, is in control. He's in control. And it's indicative of what the Bible depicts over and over and over again when, God, uh, when a man meets up with God. It's not like the man or a woman, comes up and says, you know, hey, God, how you doing? Buddy, buddy. No. The response of man, almost on a regular issue, a regular basis, is what? He falls down. He falls down before God. Why have we gotten into the thinking that, you know, it's like we've removed the whole issue of reverence for a holy God. 
we need to maintain that, believer. So, he spoke forth. I'm sorry, he stood out with divine purpose. He spoke forth in divine power. And then thirdly, he secured, number three, he secured divine protection. Notice. How many times did he ask who they're seeking? Two times. He said, he said, who, who do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. They fall down. They get back up. I, yeah, and I just wish we could have seen that. They get back up. And what happens? Verse 7. Look at it. Therefore, he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He, so if you seek Me, let these go their way. Who? The disciples. He's protecting the disciples. Why? Shouldn't they kind of follow along with their Master? Not at this level. Not at this extreme, in this extreme situation. Because they're going to fall away. They won't be able to handle what Jesus is going to go through. And so he, letter A, he does this by fulfilling his word. He's really just keeping his promise. Being in, being in control of this very situation, he has them say who they are after, and they say, we're seeing Jesus. Now, okay, these guys get to go free. And he does that because just look look at chapter 17. Go back, previous chapter, verse seven, uh, chapter 17, verse 12. This is his high priestly prayer. And he says, while I was with them, in verse 12, I was keeping them in your name. Keeping them, protecting them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the, what? The scripture would be fulfilled. So, and we haven't even opened up the, the resource center here about all the other things that Jesus fulfilled in keeping to the word of God. All the prophecies that he fulfilled. So, not one of them, okay? Also, if you're taking notes, John chapter 6, verse 38 and 39 where Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that all that of all that He has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. He's simply keeping His pledge. He's keeping His promise. Not only does He fulfill His word, but also protection is, letter B, by freeing His sheep. And that's what happened. Okay, they went. They left. Christ took control of the scene as the mob arrived. And here he has affected the disciples' clear release. Making sure they would not be arrested with him. Okay. Divine protection. Folks, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what has taken place for you. It's not like an up and down thing on the chart of life's, uh, of the picture of life. No. It's something that you are, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are, 
you are brought into his family. Whatever you face, whatever you go through, he has allowed it. And he continues to watch over his sheep. Okay? Are you his sheep? If you're not his sheep, you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, and be brought into his fold. And he will guide you, and he will guard you, and he will grow you in your faith. Number four. Number four is that he submitted fully to his father's plan. His father's plan. John chapter 18, verse 10 through 12. Now, just track with me here. Verse 10. Simon Peter, then, having a sword. Okay? That's one of those little... uh, Little guys that fits right nicely on your side underneath your robe. Doesn't really show up, but he's got one. And most likely all the other disciples have one. Okay? And so here's the moment. And he pulls out his sword. Verse 10. Drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. Now, We've, uh, you might have heard this before. It's not like he went after his ear. He did not go after his ear. He went after his neck. He wanted to chop his head off. He's not a swordsman. He's not a soldier. He's a fisherman. <laughs> and uh, Malchus had enough time to have to respond and pull away, or it's the right ear, and pull away and get the ear lobbed off. Okay? That plays into this very thing, that Christ submitted to fully to His Father's plan. Letter A, in that Jesus abated the operation of the flesh. The operation of the flesh. Folks, we know this. Peter did this before, didn't he? May it never be, Lord. And Jesus tells him what? Get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God on your mind. You have the things of man on your mind. And that's the idea that disciples wanted to have Jesus become king right now. Now, John, the writer, does not acknowledge who that Malchus's ear was healed Luke chapter 22, verse 51, write it down. Luke chapter 22, verse 51 mentions that. Why? Well, probably because Luke was a doctor, huh? Yeah. That would have been great to see too. A, A wound right there, bleeding, coming out, screaming, ah! And Jesus reaches out and what? In complete control, yeah! Touches the ear, boom! Oh, let's, let's humanize that thought for a bit. <laughs> he had a, a needle and a thread. And he stitched him up. Took about ten minutes, but, you know, no. <laughs> he touched him and healed him. 
See, we do not want to give God that kind of credit. We've got to have a human reason. It's got to come through my brain first before we can comprehend it, right? But that's not faith. That is not faith. And so, Peter again demonstrates the operation of the flesh, just like you or me. And we, we, we gotta get rid of that stuff, folks. We gotta walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Okay? So he submitted fully to his father's plan in what he abated, the operation of the flesh. Letter B, in what he accepted. Verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? He accepted the onslaught of great evil. And there, there it was. That, that event with Peter whipping out his sword, what, what could have that created at the moment? Had Jesus not healed his ear? Oh, here come the Romans now. Okay, get out of the way. Here we go. You, you want it? You got it. There's the Roman soldiers coming forth. But that didn't happen. There was immediate healing. And now Jesus saying, shall I not drink the Father's cup? Notice he says, the Father, what, who, the, which the Father has given me. Now, he already experienced the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's right now, in this moment, in John 18, experiencing the betrayal and the arrest by the mob. And this is simply the first step of proving his love for his own. And he moved on to even worse issues, his trial and trade-out. The trade-out for Barnabas. Or Barabbas, I'm sorry. Being mocked and beaten. Crowned with those thorns. You see the thorns on this little depiction right here. And you, you know, these thorns are not little rosebush thorns. These are long thorns. And they pushed that down on his crown, on his head. And then they robed him with the purple robe. Then he was, you know, along, all the way along, he's despised and rejected. Okay? So we got the betrayal and the arrest. The trial, the trade-out. Being mocked, being beaten. Being despised and rejected. Then to the cross, what happened? He was stripped and shamed. Stripped. Let me say it this way. He was naked. Because the Romans knew what to do. And they knew how to shame the worst criminals. And they not only stripped them and nailed them to the cross, they put that cross in a very public area where people were passing by. Stripped and shamed. And it doesn't stop there. He was forsaken by His Father. And can you hear the cries? Save yourself! Save yourself! See, we all get very somber when we talk about these things, and we should. Can you look at me right now? Everyone look at me. He was in control. Why? To rescue thousands upon thousands 
for his family to get to know God. There had to be a price, and he paid it. The Old Testament says he set his face like flint to go and do this. But you know what? Not only did all these things happen, mocked and beaten, despised and rejected, stripped and shamed, forsaken by his father, then he was finished. And how do we take that? We say, oh, he's done. No, he finished his work. Amen? He finished his work. It is finished. A cry of accomplishment. Yes, there was pain. Yes, there was the grief of it. Yes, there was the the injustice. But this is a cry of accomplishment in his pain. So that, let us see in what he accomplished. He submitted fully to his father's plan in what he accomplished. And what was that? To be able to offer the great exchange. The great exchange. You know, his life for yours. He gave his life for you. He bore our sins in his body and he bore our shame on the cross. I want you to mark down, you know, read it sometime this week. Today or sometime this week. Or, you know, don't wait till Friday. Get it in your mind going into Friday. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Read it. Read it again. Let it sink in. Now, please turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And it's verses 9 through 11. Hebrews 2, 9 through 11 says, But we do see Him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for Him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things. There's His control. There it is right there. In bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Did you hear Jason on the video talking about honor and shame? Honor and shame. That's what he's dealing with in the, in the culture that he's a part of there in Kyrgyzstan and now will be eventually in, in Clarkston, Georgia. It's a lot about honor and shame among the people. And guess what? You know what? We're really good at covering up our shame. We're really good at that. And yet he, Jesus came forth and took our, our sins, bore our shame in His body. Okay, so let me wrap it up with this. When does Christ shine the brightest? You say, whoa, you can't, you can't qualify that. He's always shining the brightest. Yes, I agree. 
But from our, uh, our perspective as individuals and, and a body of believers, when does Christ shine the brightest? And I would put before you that when it's all about Him and when there's no added extras, as John the Baptist said, He must what? Increase and I must decrease. That's the concept behind it. So Christ will shine the brightest when it's all about Him. What's it? Your life, my life. When it's all about Him. Christ will shine the brightest when we cry out for His mercy in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, talks about His grace is sufficient. Our weakness is in His strength. And He shines brightest when we confess our sins to Him. Why? Because of His forgiveness, His pardon. We admit our ongoing need of Him. Christ shines brightest in our lives when we die to sin, deny ourselves, and live to Christ, walk by faith. Those... Those are moments where Christ shines the brightest in your life. Christ shines the brightest when you and I have to deal with suffering and persecution. We always want to escape. We always want to run. But James chapter 1 says that he who endures, he who endures. Folks, listen. I'm not trying to pretend to be some sort of prophet, but the way things seem to be going in our, in our world, in our nation, in our culture, you better be ready. If you're not ready, you're going to be left as one without any help. And I'm talking about Jesus being your help, Jesus being your strength in times of persecution and suffering. Jesus shines the brightest when we're in the crucible of life situations, when we can proclaim in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the pain, to God be the glory, great things He has done. When we can say, I love you, Lord. When you can say that and just in the midst of the trouble, say, I love you, Lord, and I'm trusting you. In the midst of the problem, when you can say, great is thy faithfulness, Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning. When Christ shines the brightest, it's not when I know that I have everything under control. In fact, that's probably the moment where I'm in the way of His glory. When I've got things the way I want them. It's not necessarily when everything goes my way. Young people, learn about that. If things don't go your way, don't fly off the handle because things don't go your way. Get used to it. Trust in Jesus Christ in that trial, in that difficulty. We've got so much to learn from the gospel. Let's get a better grip on the gospel, okay? You need it. Not just back 20, 40, 50, 60 years ago to get saved. You need it today. 
You need His help today. His grace today. I've gone longer than I planned. I, I try. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I want you to stand with me. Stand as we close our service here. And what Rick Bassam said was not coordinated here at all. Uh, he was on his own, man. Did a great job. But what he said was referring to Psalm 118, where the hosannas sprang forth uh, you know, to fulfill prophecy. You know what else Psalm 118 has? Something that we really like. And we could even sing it out. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. That... And we rejoice in that. But you know what? We miss the context. Listen. This is where the chief cornerstone was rejected by the builders. That's what it says in Psalm 118. Referring to Jesus. The religious officials, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, they rejected the chief cornerstone. You know what Psalm 118 says? Listen. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you put those pieces together, this is the day that Jesus got arrested, betrayed, mocked, beaten, despised, rejected, forsaken of men. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in that. What, what a truth. What a praise. God's not afraid of death. He overcame death. You'll hear about that next week. Let us thank Him for being in control of that very dark, terrible, evil time that man went against God and rejected Him. Thank You, Lord, for this day. We want to rejoice in this day and we want to rejoice in what Jesus accomplished and going to Calvary where He endured, where He suffered, and where He completed the work that He came to do. This is marvelous in our eyes. We didn't even see it coming. Again, it's because of Your grace and Your love that You extended it to us. Lord, forgive us for our, our self-centered ways. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Lord, we pray that You would help us this day in walking with You. Whatever we face, Lord, help us to remember to say, it is well with my soul that You are faithful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.